Thanks for downloading this podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be broadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy wherever they get their podcasts. Hello everybody and welcome along to another edition of Haggerty Inside Track. My name's John Hindhoff and it's our post Nürburgring 24 edition. Our guests tonight, and thank you very much on a very busy week for them joining us, uh, Jim Glickenhouse, who is literally arriving at his hotel for the WEC at Portimao right now as he joins us live. Uh, we've got Adam Christodoulou from AMG Mercedes, and uh, also we've got Philip Eng from BMW. I'm going to leave Jim for a second because he is actually signing in at the moment. Let's uh, let's check in first with Philip Eng and say welcome uh, to the show, Philip. Um, thanks for joining us. First of uh, first of all, uh, I don't even know where to start with you. Pole position, what looked like a great car. It looked like a great car at the weekend. It was balanced. It was quick. You could drive it. But motor racing isn't just about that, uh, and certainly not the Nürburgring. How, how do you describe your weekend? Yeah, hi everyone. First of all, thanks for inviting me. Uh, it's always to always great to be on on your show. Yeah, the Nürburgring always has its own uh, rules, uh, and yeah, it's all about luck in the end. Um, you need to be you need to be lucky as well, which we weren't this year, unfortunately. As you said, we had a great race car. Um, all week, um, Nick did a fantastic job in uh, in top quality. I mean, I watched the lap, I think, five or six times, and it was insane how how, how he executed that. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if I could have done the same, to be very honest, because it was crazy, crazy and very insane. And then going into the race, we were all optimistic. Um, we were really happy with the setup of the car. We were really happy how... Um, how it drove, and unfortunately, um, yeah, with the red flag, it was not uh, was not very good for us. Uh, with this new rule, um, we we lost quite a lot of time. We had to do an extra stop, well, a stop where we had to stop two yeah, minutes longer than, than the rest of the field, um, and then eventually we had an, a technical issue, which. Um, yeah, ended our race, but after the restart, um, driving against Maro, um, just driving against the best people on the planet uh, when it comes down to the Nürburgring was was incredible. And uh, I can assure you that every lap, every corner, every meter was completely on the limit. And um, I, I really enjoyed it. And unfortunately, this year we didn't have the luck we needed. But um, I'm really looking forward to 2022 when we get going with the new BMW M4 GT3. Uh, that is the problem, isn't it, Philip, about the Nürburgring? It's not a series. There's not a race next week in. About the Nürburgring 24, it's once a year. Yeah, but it's still better than the Olympics, right? They are only <laughs> only every four years. So <laughs> you get the chance every year. Um, I think it's... It's um, probably one of the biggest races in in the year, and um, it's just so so special. This place, when you arrive there, um, everybody who has been there knows what I, what I'm talking about. You just see the track um, ten kilometers before you actually arrive at the circuit in the paddock, and um, that feeling that goes through your body is uh, is a standalone. And I, I I'm just always happy when I'm there, even. Though the weather is always pretty, pretty bad or mostly bad, which was also the case last weekend. Um, but in 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 my point of view, this is the best race of the year. Um, you have the best track in the world with the best drivers on the grid. Um, I mean, you just have to see how much talent there is on the grid. Um, so many people that have so much experience on the Nordschleife. Um, so many people that haven't made it to Formula One. But uh, they are now on the Nordsch life, and uh, yeah, the sport is just fantastic, and it's, it's always great to be part of that. 
Jim Glickenhouse is actually walking to his room in the hotel. I'm going to give him a couple of minutes before we, we bring him in at the moment. So I'll go to Adam Christopher. Hey, don't you love live here on Haggerty in the Global Broadcast Centre? Uh, Adam Christodoulou, um, a tale of war for you guys as well at AMG. When I spoke to you early in the week, I said, is it Mercedes and AMG's year? And you said, I hope so. And... You were hoping for hot weather. You didn't get that. But bizarrely, as it got wetter, the cars looked pretty good. Yeah, so it's funny. Like I'd been in Germany uh, the last two weeks, basically, um, with the lockdown restrictions. I had to, to go out early. So I'd been there waiting for, for a good 10, 11 days before the race week uh, even started. And up to that point, we had stunning weather. And then I could just see it was getting worse and worse as it was getting closer to the weekend. Actually, as okay, apart from the fog, and obviously the horrendous rain on her for, for qualifying. Um, Sunday was surprisingly pretty pretty dry. Okay, there's a few uh, bit of fog and damp patches around, but uh, it wasn't as bad as it was predicting at, at the start of the week. Um, but yeah, for us, I don't know. Something's disagreed with us the last few years there because uh, yeah, the last two years we've been leading and we've uh, ended up crashing out. And then this year um, we were we were second. Um, to the BMW and yeah just uh, unfortunately two cars went for the same bit of track and and we ended up going off and so yeah, a bit of a, a tough one to swallow and and we knew that at that point actually we were probably in the best position because we didn't have the the long pit stop uh, to take yeah uh, which only became apparent uh, after after hearing it from the officials originally we thought that we'd been had over by the regs where we hadn't pitted yet and we'd only got three laps left. Yeah. But then there was a new rule for this year where um, basically if the red flag situation happened and you'd pitted just before, um, because like, originally I thought that the BMs had eight laps worth of fuel left and possibly one stop less towards the end of the race versus us. Um, but with how it ended up falling with when it started, it actually looked like we we're in probably the strongest position, but uh, it wasn't to be. What is it, Adam, about the Nürburgring, about the Nordschleife in particular, the NLS races and the Nürburgring 24, that is such a challenge and makes pro drivers like you, like Philip, like you know, Philip rightly said, hell of a field again this year. All right, only 125 cars, but the quality through every single class. When you've got Mark Bessing in a... TCR class and and literally every class that you looked at had drivers that you went oh yeah 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 he's good oh yeah they could win what is it that keeps drivers like you going back to the Nürburgring because it's scary and (laughs) hell those GT3 cars are hauling the mail through there so what makes you want to keep going back well it's it's just the best track in the world like it's the biggest permanent track there is and uh, and it's just the challenge of it the thing is it there's a load of incredible drivers there that have won everything all the way around the world. And then we've also got uh, people that um, have less experience there and, and they only race at the Nürburgring Um, and anyone can go there and get their permits. They've got to do at least like 16 test laps with an instructor and then they're 16 laps over two races. And the variety of drivers is, is huge there. And it's funny, like you say, oh, there's only 125 cars. Well, there's no other race that Ordinary. I know. <laughs> there's no other race that I know, whether it's only 125 cars. Like, okay, the last two years have been a little bit difficult with obviously current uh, travel restrictions and testing and all that. And uh, normally we've got a grid closer to, I think, about 170. Um, and actually you do notice it, those those 30, 40 cars that are missing or 40, 50 cars that are missing, you do notice that it's quieter uh, mm. on, on the track. Obviously, it's spread over the 25 kilometres. Um, but just there's just nothing that comes close to it. If if there was only ever one track I could race at the rest of my life, it would have to be the Nürburgring because you'll never have any two laps the same. Absolutely agree with you. I've been asked that question so many times in interviews and I've never raced it, but I've driven plenty of laps on tourist laps on manufacturer days and I still have to do an NLS race um, before I shuffle off this this mortal coil. Um, now, Mr. Glickenhouse has found his way yes. to his room. Welcome to, to Haggerty and Inside Track, Jim. Thank you very much. I know you're travelling. In fact, you have 
You've had a busy couple of days, so oh, oh, don't make me envious. Don't make me envious. Um, you've had a busy couple John, of days. Your yacht is out there. I <laughs> see. I see the Radio Le Mans yacht. Like, watch out! There's some big boats there. You're going near. Yeah, uh, it's been a it's, it's been a remarkable year for you, Jim. Um, let's talk about the Nurburgring straight away. Tiny little issue on the 004C that put a bit of oil onto the back tyres of Richard Westbrook. We thought in commentary it was odd to see Westy having a, a moment. You got it fixed, uh, dropped a lap to the, the class leader, but that you weren't able to, to make that back. But my goodness, you came back through through the field uh, in a car that's, that saw a lot of changes from the last time you were at the Nürburgring, that 004C. Yeah, it's, you know, as we move into um, the road legal example of it, and we've sold 200 of them, um, so we we have to start building them and we're crash testing them as we speak. And we're doing uh, admissions testing actually in Spain and for the United States and um, for Europe as well. Uh, We got a lot of interest in Europe. We're building one customer car to SBA standards and uh, CeCe Muldoon, the owner, is going to take it to Goodwood and go up the hill uh, in that. And we're going to bring our Le Mans hypercar to Goodwood also. Uh, This assuming that this COVID thing allows Americans to go in and out of England, that's a bit up in the air because we have to go the next weekend to Monza to race. But we're, we're always optimistic about that. But we did a massive amount of work to the car. We moved the motor two inches forward, one inch down. Um, the year before, we had uh, a very quick car, but an undrivable car because we had way too much rear downforce and not enough front downforce. So we moved the motor forward and down. Um, I went berserk on television to the organizers and said, I'm tired of being treated like a a stepchild, and I want a GT3 wing. I said, look, we, we've sold 200 cars. Uh, the FIA let Ford race at Le Mans with a Ford GT uh, before they delivered any customer cars. And while we're applying to be a GT3, in the meantime, I want to be treated like one. Um, they agreed. So we got a much bigger rear wing. We improved the arrow in the front. Um, but the problem is it was a brand new car. So the drivers had literally the first lap they had in it was in practice at the Nürburgring. So it was a steep learning curve. We did a lot of setup work, even in qualifying. We were changing springs and dampers and uh, all kind arrow and rake of the wing. So it was a complete learning experience. The car is very fast. I mean, it's really fast. We were running with um, one of the Audis. Um, for many laps and we were equally as fast. We actually could have passed them, but it was hellacious weather, as you know. So we were driving very conservatively. Then we just had a bizarre thing, a very high quality component uh, oil clamp let go. It dumped oil on uh, Richard's wheel. He lost the car. And um, we didn't care in the sense of we were going to repair the car and just keep racing. We never stop, no matter what. We always keep racing. And we were going to turn it into just a continuing test session. And then they red flagged the race. So we realized, hey, we can come back in the morning and race. And I think we started in well over 30th place. And we fought back and finished 20th overall. Um, quite honestly, and I, I, I hate to be one of these people that says if this happened, that would have happened. But had Richard not lost it in the oil, not his fault, and had earlier in this crazy rain, uh, Thomas spun the car onto the grass and couldn't get off the grass, had to climb out of the car, push the car, finally got in it, got it back. Uh, if we hadn't lost that time at the end of the race, we would have been fighting for the win uh, between the top five cars. Uh, so I think next year we're going to be very strong. Jim, question for you from Peter uh, here on Haggerty Inside Track. Wants to, uh, wants to know um, how soon do you think it might be possible to have a fully fledged and homologated GT3 version of the 004C? We have to see it. You build different cars. We'll get on a hypercar later, I'm sure. But the 004C that you were racing is the number 704 at the weekend. Can we see that as a GT3 car soon? 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we gently pointed out um, to various people that, um, you know, they can't treat Ford and us differently. And they allowed Ford to be actually, well, I guess it was homologated as a GTE uh, for Le Mans. It never really was a GT3. But, you know, we pointed that they really can't uh, treat us differently. But weirdly, or not even weirdly, everybody wants us to race all over. I mean, we got approached by the DTM. They would take our car now. Cervantic, of course, would take our car. Um, I think Stefan will take our car as soon as it's a GT3. IMSA will take our car as a GT3. And I personally feel that uh, GTE is over, even in the WEC. I I think it will go next year, 2022. But after that, I think that the uh, ACO is going to go to GT3. So we have a tremendous demand for cars, for GT3. And quite frankly, um, we have, I think we sold three customer cars over the weekend uh, for people who are going to race it in the NLS uh, next year in the NLS in the Nürburgring and um, Cervantic series and stuff. So um, next year we'll have at least two cars uh, racing the 24 hours and, and other series and uh, we're very optimistic about the car. It's a great car to drive. It's a center seater. So it's really like driving a, a formula car. You have tremendous visibility. The air conditioning works. The lights work. And uh, we think it'll be a great uh, competitive car. Jim, we'll let you get settled in the room. I love you do what I do when you're on the foot. You're walking around while you're talking. That's exactly what I do. It helps me focus. He's done a lap of the Nürburgring. He's done a lap of the Nürburgring already. <laughs> yeah, settle I your, do. <laughs> settle yourself in there. We're going to get some customer. Uh, customer. Some, that's because you're talking about customers. We're going to get some listener and viewer questions for Jim Clickenhouse in a moment. Uh, already coming in as well for Adam Christotolo and Philip Eng. Um, guys, you, you were driving... Uh, Philip, I'll come to you. You were driving GT3s uh, at the at the weekends. Um, those cars are getting very, very quick now. Philip, do you think uh, the new BMW, I'm sure you've driven it, but I won't ask you to answer that one. The, the new M4 uh, GT3, is that a car that could go to Le Mans? And, and would, it be, would it be competitive at Le Mans if there were no GTE AM cars, let's say? Definitely. I mean, I can tell you very openly, I drove the car uh, two or three weeks ago at Vallelunga uh, during a, a three-day test with BMW Motorsport. Great track, track. great track. Um, and, you know, we were involved very early in the development phase of the car, where there was basically just a chassis. And we were working very closely together with the engineers, we as, as works drivers, to you know, define how should the steering wheel work, where should all the buttons be, how does the switch panel work, um, what were the, from a driver's point of view, the weak points of the M6 GT3, what do we need to do to make a good and even better uh, GT3 car as the M4? And um, I must say, I was amazed on, on how good the car was at Vallelunga in the first few laps, you just sit in the car and you immediately feel at home. Everything is where it uh, where it's supposed to be. Um, starting with the clutch, we have a we have a similar system to the to the Audi GT3 now, where we have a hand clutch, and the car just drives on its own, um, which is not only nice for us works drivers, but a GT3 car needs to be driven, um, of course, by us works drivers, but in the first place by by our customers. Occasional and, um, drivers like me I need to be. I need to feel comfortable. It needs to be yeah homely. I, I for was me. gonna, I was gonna say, Tron. If you ever do an NLS race, I would like to share the car with you. <laughs> and if it wasn't a BMW, I mean, I'm not the one who, who calls the shots, obviously. But I would really like to share the car with you if you ever do a race there. I need to get my permit. Maybe if, <laughs> if somebody is listening, let's do it. Okay, let's uh, let's do that. I've I've got my FIA. Um, I've got my FIA international license, but I still need everybody. Lewis Hamilton would need to do a permit if he if he went to to the Nurburgring. How does it compare? Can you compare it to a GTE, a GT Le Mans car, Philip? In in terms of of its performance, how it feels, or, or are we talking something that is just totally different now? No, it, it's a, it's a proper GT3 car. It's a proper customer car, um, customer racing car. Um, 
you just sit in and you immediately feel at home because all the buttons are where they're supposed to be. The steering wheel is, is good. The seat position is nice. You just feel safe in the car. Um, even though the wheelbase is a bit longer than the M6, um, the car is a bit shorter in general. Um, and it, it, it feels much more agile um, than the M6. Interesting. And it also feels, it just feels much more like, yeah, like a race car, uh, let's say. Um, I think the M6 had very positives, but also some, some areas where we were struggling. And we ironed that out and the M4 is a, is a great race car. Um, wow. And I, I, I really enjoyed my, my first laps and I can't uh, wait to, to go racing. With uh, uh, and we see that at, at NLS 6 or 7? 4. 4? Oh. I think 4 is Nick, the first four. appearance, yeah. Wow, okay. Yeah. Can't wait for that. We'll have that, of course, across the uh, Radio Show Limited's network of audio and video, cha- video channels. Um, Adam, a lot of people asking, um, going back to the weekend... Long, long weather delay, not unusual at this time of the year at the Nürburgring. Does that make it easier or harder for you drivers to get any sleep, whether you're thinking about this year particularly or the years past when we've had a break in the race? Because from the outside, you think, hey, great, everybody gets to go and get get a bit of sleep. But you guys, I guess, have got to be on standby. I had a great sleep. I had about six hours. Uh, I'm not sure about... Philip, <laughs> but I, I knew I wasn't first in the car after the restart. So of course, I always knew that uh, if I was in the hotel and I heard the cars going past, then it's probably time to wake up. So uh, I, had, I still had my like I went to bed at I don't know one o'clock in the morning because of course you're trying to understand what's happening and what's going on and what time what is the strategy for the next morning. And they said right next announcements announcements are at six o'clock um, for a potential start at seven. So I just set my alarm for seven, basically thinking right. I'll, uh, I'll wake up for the start of the race if it does happen at that time. But looking at the amount of fog in the end, yeah. Uh, obviously, when the alarm did go off, I just had a quick check and noticed that uh, <laughs> they said, right, another further delay Snoo. in the morning. But I don't know, like, for, for nerves and that, it's almost worse because when the race is just going, you're already in motion and mm. and you already know what the plan is and, and you've got the strategy for that. Suddenly when there's a, hold on, we've got to wait uh, to figure out whether it's going to clear or not like you said, being on standby is almost a bit worse trying to figure out, right, okay, do I need to mentally start getting ready now or is there going to be a delay? Uh, And how difficult is it driving in the slow zones and the cautions? Tom says um, it it seems like you've got to stay really close. And the, the thing is, it's not a full course caution, is it, Adam? So you've got to be there to pounce on the car in front, whether it's the Dacia Logan or a GT4 car or a car you're racing. So you have to be right there and, and looking for that green flag, I presume. Exactly. So ju- just before the red flag uh, fell, basically, like you're going through some of the, the foggy areas and your eyes are on stalks and and basically, we, we knew there was a, uh, a code 60 as you got onto the Dottingho, the big, the longest straight on the track. And from the previous lap, it started at the very start of the straight, whereas on the final lap that I completed, we came around Gallenkoff, which is the, the large right-hander. And there was two cars going slow, which I think were expecting the code 60 to slow down. And the Audi that was in front of me uh, that I was about to lap, um, I think he slowed down looking at the others but there was no flags at that point until halfway down the straight so i managed to squeeze ahead and then of course then there was you you get the first single yellow flag which is your warning then you get the double yellow flag where you've got to slow down to 120 kilometers an hour um and then uh basically uh once you get to the the code 60 zone um we we just stick it into first gear and sit on the limiter um and and just wait until the end and 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 you're ready to go and then uh, and then florida kid because you don't have somebody saying green, green, green in your ear as if it was a normal full course yellow or virtual safety car or, or code 60. You've got to actually make that observation, Adam, yourself. Exactly. So you've got to be extremely alert. Like As soon as you're behind another car in a slow zone, you're, you're, you're literally like looking around trying to figure out where the next marshal post is because there's so many marshal posts. That's the other challenge, trying to make sure that you're not caught napping. And and it happens so often, and and I believe I'm generally quite good at uh, getting straight back on it at the marshal point and uh, and trying to jump the car in front if I can. So uh, you got to be really on your toes when it comes to that. 
207 Marshall's posts, I seem to remember from my... In fact, actually, look, look hang on, hang on, hang on. I have, track map there. I have still got my little track map there, which, oh, you probably can't see that. With the, there you go. With all yeah, the, yeah. all of them on that I had at the at the weekend, it's still on my my uh, my desk in front of me. Jim Glickenhouse. Um, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, screen yeah. In, yeah. The, in the car as well, which tells you oh, when really? you're approaching. Yeah, so every car has a little LED screen, and it tells you that there's a potential once you get within half a kilometre or a kilometre of it that there might That's be a, a slow zone. So every car has this installed. So that's like the old Magneti Marelli uh, flag in the cab thing that we used to have in the, yeah. still have in the WEC. Uh, questions coming in for Jim Glickenhouse as well, who joins us having just arrived at his hotel in Portugal for the eight hours of Portimao WEC weekends. Um, people basically, Jim, want to know how, how you're feeling coming into this weekend um you've you've taken your time to make the right decisions as far as you're concerned about the balance between top speed and aero downforce on the lmh glicken house and it makes its competition debut this weekend come on you've got you've got to tell me you've there's got to be a little flutter somewhere that finally this project with the Glickenhaus name, gets into World Championship Racing and Endurance? Well, you know, as you know, um, I love an Le Mans Endurance race cars. And um, I actually have three of them uh, that now get along pretty well in my garage, but in 1967 raced each other at Le Mans. Uh, the Ford Mark IV that Donnie and McLaren drove to fourth overall. Uh, the uh, Ferrari P34 uh, that Amon and Bandini, well, no, I, I'm not sure who drove it at Le Mans that year, but they won, Amon and Bandini won the 24 Hours of Daytona, and the Maranello Concessionaire 412P that also raced at Le Mans. And I love driving these cars on the road. I get up very early on a Sunday morning, uh, I fire them up, and I take them for a 100-mile drive just through the backcountry roads of New York. And um, I got to tell you, I mean, watching the dew stream off and the sunrise and then, you know, pulling into a diner and just leaving at the parking lot and going in and getting some bacon and eggs for breakfast. I mean, it's an amazing experience. I probably put 100,000 road miles on Le Mans cars. So this was always my dream to go away this Sunday. Would you like me to go and run them down the road for you? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I, in all seriousness, I really think it's important for guys like you to come, you know, come visit us sometime in New York and to have a go in, in, in these older cars, because you'll have great respect for the guys that drove them. The Ford is actually very easy to drive. It's big. It has a windshield wiper out of a Boeing 707, so the windscreen stays clean. It has a massive uh, inline fan, so there's a lot of cockpit ventilation. It, um, it demissed the window. The clutch, I think, is out of a, a Kelsey Hayes tractor. Uh, the motor you can uh, drive as an automatic. It has so much torque. Uh, it's a synchro mesh gearbox. It's a lovely car to drive. I mean, Mark Donahue told me that after Le Mans, he could have driven another 24 hours in the car. He said he just felt so comfortable. And you watch the guys in the Ferraris, and I love the Ferraris, obviously. They're beautiful, whatever. But um, they're a little driver unfriendly. I mean, the oil and water lines run through the cockpit. If at the end of the stint your shoes are melting, your leg is scorched and burned, even with the driver's suit on, and um, they're they're not as comfortable as – the big Ford was the um, spider version. The P three, four is actually a lot easier to drive because you have a lot more visibility. The coupes are a little hairy to drive. You really don't see too much. Um, and in the rain, um, the cars are a little hairy and they have no brakes, but they have lovely engines. And um, so is really this, is this so what prompted you, Jim, to go and race at Le Mans. Now, I know you were racing the WEC leading up to Le Mans, but Le Mans is, is, is it for you in terms of this car, yeah? 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, when I was a young boy, I would drive my bicycle about 20 miles a day back and forth to Mr. Kennedy's Ferrari dealership, and I would stand outside and peer in. And Mr. Kennedy, frankly, really didn't like children, so he never let me in. And then one day he said, all right, kid, you can come in. And then it went to, all right, kid, you can sit in the car, but don't touch anything. All right, kid, you can do the steering wheel, but don't touch the shift. And as I got older, he would send me on parts runs. And I really learned an amazing thing. I mean, I saw a 250 LM come in from uh, the Ferrari factory and Mr. Canetti basically take the car apart and hot rod it. He drill holes in it. He would send me down the street to Moroso speed shop to buy uh, ignition wires. And I said, well, why are we buying new ignition wires? Aren't You know, it has Ferrari ignition wires. And he said, kid, the Ferrari wires are crap, you know, <laughs> and uh, I learned a lot from Mr. Canetti. You know, those were different times. I didn't really have a much of a race license back then. And one day he called me and he said, Jim, I have a 512S and I don't have enough money to take it to Le Mans. So I'll sell it to you for $20,000 and you can drive a stint. I was about 18 at the time. I said, you know, Mr. Canetti, I don't really think that my mother would think that was like the best idea in the world. <laughs> but, you know, the world has changed. But anyway, I, I always loved those cars. And my dream was, why can't we make these cars pretty again? I mean, the LMP1 Porsche was the most magnificent object in the world in terms of a, a capable car and the hybrid. And, but it was more like an F-16 fighter jet to me than a 250 LM. And I wanted to see you know, my cars, I started with a, a Can-Am T70 Lola, X Donahue and uh, Penske, and uh, I raced it in the SCCA. And then, uh, you know, I remember getting banned from Holiday Inns because I blew the motor up and I rebuilt it on the bed on a sheet of plastic. They didn't like that too much overnight. And then we went racing. But, you know, I wanted to say, what would a T70 look like today? Ah. Now, the problem is, that if you are going to make a serious Le Mans hypercar, it has to be a serious car. So mm -hmm. it has to have the arrow. It has to have the weight. It has to have a motor that works. And it has to be a competitive car. But I fought tooth and nail with Sauber over little tweaks and things that they wanted to do on the arrow. And I think that we came up with a very nice looking car. It's still meets all of the aero requirements but that was the hardest job that i right. had was to make a car pretty and and different and by the way john when you see it it is pretty cool piece of kit i mean it really is uh, I, i've just had uh, a great thought we need to come and do a show from your car collection um, oh, I mean, absolutely. And then, you know, we can go up the road to Danbury. Where we're actually building both our Baja boots and our uh, center seater 04 three seater sports cars, which we still sell with a stick if you want it. And uh, we'll also sell to you with paddles and, you know, 840 horsepower. So you can be sure you can stay in jail if you do something stupid. All right. Um, Does that come with a little shredder for your license just in case? Yeah, well, no, no, no. We remove your license before you get in. We want to make sure that the car is impounded and you get taken away in the backseat of a, you know, a, a Ford Crown Vic. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll hold you. I'll hold you to that. I'm going to come back to your car collection in a little while. We've got some questions for you. Jim Glickenhouse joining us along with Adam Christodoulou and Philip Eng. Philip, um, question here. How active, we're talking about new cars and you were talking about the new GT3 car there. Um, how active has the link between the M4 GT3 on iRacing which is, of course, where we saw it first, and the actual car during development been. Uh, this, this, is, this has been a big thing in the last 18 months, and, and you and BMW have been a, a, a real uh, proponent of, of online racing with the IMSA uh, Pro Series, with the VCO, DNLS, etc. Are there any links between the real world and the virtual world in the development of the cars? Yeah, first of all, I, I wanted to say, uh, Mr. Klickenhaus, I'm a fan and huge respect on, on, on what you're doing. Um, hearing your stories, I, yeah, I'm amazed. So, so thanks for, for sharing them with them, uh, sharing them with us. 
Oh, thank, um, thank other- you. It, it, it means a lot to me that you say that. And, you know, last weekend, there were a lot of corporate guys from BMW and Porsche and Audi who came by. And um, I think that they really are kind of surprised at what we've done and they're big fans. And I think they like that on the net, I can say things that they can't. So they were very complimentary and it means a lot to me. It really does. Cool. Yeah. Coming back to your question, Sean, um, I think the story of the M4 GTC is, is very unique. Um, first of all, the car was in the virtual world at the first place on, on iRacing and BMW was very open to, to iRacing with all the, the data of the car. So um, it was basically uh, the saying, uh, what you see is what you get. Mm. And uh, BMW was, was, was sharing all the data of the car uh, with the engineers of, of iRacing and um, WeWorks drivers. We were heavily involved in the development of the virtual M4 GT3 as well. So I must say that the link between the virtual car and the real car is is um, is, is extremely good, and um, I, I got to do my first laps <laughs> on the virtual car before I got to do my first laps in the real car, uh, which was a first. Uh, but it's a very cool story, and the other cool story is that um, together with uh, Fanatec, um, we developed the um, a steering wheel, which you can use in both worlds. So you can take the steering wheel of the M4 GT3 out and put it immediately on your simulator and it will just work. And I think this has not been the case before in any of uh, of, of the race cars. Hang um, on. And Hang I think on. It's... So you're telling me, and and we were all um, uh, um, uh, absolutely admiring um, Adam's setup. So you're telling me you could take the steering wheel from your M4 GT3 and plug it into an an iRacing uh, online e-racing setup. Really? One hundred percent. Yeah, we launched we launched the steering wheel um, on the in December uh, during the BMW Sim Life in Munich. Um, my works driver team mates and and myself we developed the steering wheel together with uh, with BMW and with Fnatic and. Um, yeah, during the Sim Life event, uh, we we basically drove the car um, into this uh, to the stage where the simulator was, and we took the steering wheel out of the real race car and put it on the sim rig, and uh, it's it's it worked, and it's just the same thing. So, I think there were there are many replicas around, um, for example, from from other manufacturers, yeah. um, also from from AMG from Porsche were steering wheels, but we actually have the exact same steering wheel um, from the M4 GT3, which you can use at home. So it's the, the same piece of kit. Uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm very proud to, to have been involved in the development. It gets closer and closer. It if you really buy does. a SIM, do you get an optional extra for the car as well? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the one who calls the shots. <laughs> Guys, uh, uh, Good, but you you can try. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. See, Adam's always looking for an angle. I've known Adam a very long time. I, I watched him in karting sure. up at Felton. In he's a racing. He's a racing driver, Tron. He, he tries everything. He tries everything. They are all the same. I I remember him in um in the O-plate meetings that would Felton in Northumberland. I did the commentary there as years ago. Um, so. <laughs> couple of people asking for you two guys, uh, Philip uh, and and uh, Adam. Philip, I'll come to you first. What's the rest of the season got in, in store for you, Philip? Um, I will actually uh, drive to Adria tomorrow to do another test with the M4 GT3. Um, a two-day test, which I'm very much looking forward to. Um, and then my next race event will be uh, six hours of the Glen in IMSA which I think is the coolest championship on the planet. Um, I, I really enjoy my, my racing in the States um, together with BMW and Team RLL. Um, I did uh, Daytona this year, Sebring, uh, Watkins Glen, and I will also be doing Petit Le Mans, which uh, is another one of the big monuments. And um, I think we are currently second in the 
how do you call it, John? It's the Michelin North Endurance Cup? North American right? Endurance Cup. Very good. Yes. Perfect. Yeah. Very good. So we are, we are currently we are currently second. Um, I'm sharing the car with uh, Bruno Spengler and Conor De Filippi, the 25 car. And for me, as a, I always call myself an Austrian farmer because I I was raised very simple, and um, I, I got into this racing, and I, I I would have I could have never imagined that one day I will be racing on the big stage in the United States. Um, or on any big stage, but it's always so cool to to come to America for me as a as a European and as an Austrian. It still feels like a, a different world. And um, yeah, I'm doing I'm doing what I love, and that's that's racing. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to be back uh, for the for the Watkins Glen race. You must say hello to uh, Piers Phillips from RLL, who comes from a similar part of the country in the UK as, as I do, but he supports the wrong football team. But I can forgive him that because he's not a bad bloke. Adam, when do we see you next? Um, so I've got uh, a few more NLS races planned. So there's a double header um, oh. in a few or next month. Uh, and then there's also the six hours, uh, which is the uh, the longest NLS race Um that they host and then uh in fact in between i'll do one or two fun cup races as well in the uh, vw beetles they're they're always a, a real blast are you doing le mans uh, no unfortunately it's still on my bucket list I, I haven't had the opportunity to go there yet so i'm but are you I'm gonna do can you not get a fun cup drive because there's a fun cup five hours on friday at le mans this year is there yeah, 109 <laughs> cars entered, mate. Speak to Vonson really? Voss at WRT. Right, right, right. I'll yeah, share I with to, you. I need to get on the case then. So <laughs> my first laps around the track in a Beetle. That'd be perfect. Like, they're, they're, they're brilliant to drive. They, they max out at about 188 kilometres an hour. And for, for Spa, for example, basically, if you go out in qualifying on your own like you normally would in a GT3 car to go and try and set a fast lap, you'll be two and a half seconds slower than the guys that, tow each other around right I, and when the race starts it's like a game of chess it is right if i overtake you here you'll get me back by this point in eau rouge and i'll get you back at the end of the straight and and it is like if if you want to get into racing i'd recommend starting in something like uh, that. proper race cars as well i've seen i've been down oh, the WRT. Chassis and they've got yeah. fiber glass like full-on shelf fronts and rear and um, yeah, we, we use all the same setup equipment as you do on GT3 race cars. Yeah, I've seen I've seen WRT um, in Belgium. I've been down there to see Vonson and the, the rest of the guys, Vonson Foss and the rest of the guys. So it's like Moto, G, Moto 3 for cars or, or Mazda MX-5. It's a bit too Mazda brilliant. MX-5 Cup. Good and, fun. Okay, motorsport is always expensive, but as far as motorsport goes, like you do the whole of the Spa 24 hours or 25 hours, sorry, on mm. two sets of tyres. <laughs> And so, <laughs> and so, See, uh, Jim, Jim understands that because that's the era when you had guys doing a full 24 hours at Le Mans on one set of tyres. Jim, I've had loads of people tweeting in and writing in what car in your car collection would make it complete? What are you missing in your car collection? It's not about motor racing, but I've got to ask you this question which one's missing? You know, it, it, it's interesting. Um, I, I really don't want to own more cars than I can drive. And I'm pushing that limit now. I, I don't know exactly how many cars I have, but I really want to drive every car I own at least once every three weeks. And some of them are a little interesting to drive, like my 512S Modulo or, uh, Ferrari Dino Competizione. Um, but, you know, between the mix of cars that um, I have, I mean, you know, I, I unfortunately, when I was 17, couldn't convince my dad to loan me $6,500 to buy a Ferrari 250 GTO on a trailer, um, you know, so I didn't wind up with that one. I would have loved to have one of Mr. Mr. Canetti's 275 GTB Narts. Um, I did have a 275 GTB. It was a fantastic car. It had raced in the Targa Florio. It was an alloy six-carb long nose. It's the last car I ever sold. I really regret selling it. But I did set a driver record. People don't know this about me, but I still hold this record. 
I drove from on the day they uh, instituted the 55 mile an hour speed limit in the United States. The statute of limitations has passed, so I can tell the story. Um, and I was young and stupid. I drove my 275 GTB from Boston to New York in two hours, which is averaging about 107 miles an hour um, on the regular roads. And I did not get thrown in jail. I thought I was going to get thrown in jail and I was going to make it sort of a political thing, but it didn't happen. I'm not going to ask Adam or uh, Philip if they've ever done anything like that because the statute of limitations may not have run out uh, for them. There's loads uh, of autobahns we can do stuff on. Yeah, well, <laughs> thank goodness for autobahns. Yes, indeed. Lane discipline tends to be much better on autobahns than it is in other parts of uh, of Europe uh, as well. Uh, Adam, what what car isn't in your garage that you would like in your garage? Uh, and you can have one of Jim's if you want. I'm sure he wouldn't mind loaning it to you. <laughs> Ooh, um... as we're on as we're on a Haggerty program which is about the joy of of driving and i know you do like uh to drive whether it's in the uk or, or across europe uh i think i'm a bit of a sucker when it comes to like some of the classic cars so I'm, I'm fortunate enough that i've got a, an sl192 which is beautiful to drive and like when the weather's like it is today it's it's uh it's even better but uh so it'd be like as a kid, I think from the Gran Turismo days, it'd be like an old school Ford GT40 or something like that. As a as a kid, was a, a dream car of mine, and uh, um, the list would be endless, I suppose. There's, there's too many cool cars out there. How much? I, I think it'd be something older, uh, something classic rather than uh, interesting. Something Good, I like that, uh, Philip. I take it you drive a BMW day to day. Would it be a classic BMW? for you or would it be something more modern that you don't have now i my, my absolute dream car is a bmw 3.0 csl i oh, think that's that the failed. coolest car mm. on the planet and i got to drive the the classic race car uh, with bmw classic for a day where i did uh, some taxi drives but to have this car as a daily driver it would be the coolest thing on earth and I'm unfortunate enough, I, I I got the BMW M3 CSL um, in, as my private collection, which is my, which is my only car I actually own. <laughs> um, but yeah, if I, you know, one day win in the Euro Millions, uh, I would definitely buy a 3.0 CSL, 100%. So you do that thing about going, hang on, 175,000 million. Oh, yeah, yeah oh, fantastic. Yeah, we'll have this, this, this. Somebody in the UK... That's would the first thing I would do. Somebody in the UK won 111 million and uh, euros at the weekend, and I was really, really gutted it wasn't me. Really, <laughs> really, really yeah. gutted. Um, guys, social media. Uh, let's talk about social media. It's a force... For both good and not so good. There were some interesting social media moments over the weekend, says Carol in Monterey. Um, some driver spots. We had Tom Coronel getting out of the car just after he crashed it in the Cayman and taking his, his selfie. Um, first of all, for the drivers, how do you guys have to approach social media? And how much of it do you do yourself, Philip? And, and how much do you have to... Because you're in the car, obviously. So how much do you have to then then lay off to your, your PR representative or, or something like that? And how careful do you have to be? Well, I, I do everything on my own. Um, I do my whole social media on my own. I don't have anybody uh, who helps me because I I just think it's more genuine to, to do it myself. Um, for example, I'm, you know... I have this this thing with with old book mopeds, um, which is, I would say, my main hobby. Um, <laughs> Stay a push. And, Excellent. Uh, just like to share. I just yeah, I just like to share you know those genuine things. What I actually really do um, with with the fans and and with my followers. So how do I approach the social media thing? Uh, I would say less is more. Um, I think it's just important that the quality is right, rather than the quantity. Um, of course, I would like sometimes to say things uh, which I'm, I just shouldn't say, like, for example, with the red flag, which was, yeah, 
very unfortunate, but you just have to, you know, we live in the 21st century. You have to comply with some rules, which I think is, is fair enough. And um, yeah, I, I, I like the social media, but yeah, I live uh, in a way of, uh, yeah, less is more. Uh, uh, the the Austrians have a great uh, history of of diplomacy, like the Swiss. My mother in law was was <laughs> Swiss. I, I, I like what you said there. Um, I, I know from our side of things, Jim, we had uh, twenty seven whatever it was, twenty seven million impressions or something over the the weekend of the Nurburg Ring uh, here on RSL. Um, social media a necessary evil in some respects that has to be managed properly but managed properly surely it is a a tool that will bring people to our sport and 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 surely that's ultimately what we should be looking at it oh i I agree absolutely i mean the great news for me is that i can't be fired so i can say what i really think and um (laughs) quite bizarrely our little company year to date has gotten 21 and a half million social media reactions. We had a million and a half this weekend. And I have no idea why so many people follow us, but I think it's because they believe that I show things that no one else would show. You know, when Thomas lost the car uh, in practice for uh, the quali race, I showed the car as it was dropped off the truck, all bashed up. Uh, I took a look at it and I said, you know, we're going to try to work all night and rebuild this and and race in the morning. And uh, all night I just walked around and showed them what we were doing. So, Jim, is that you? So, so, so Scuderia Cameron Glickenhouse on Twitter is you? Yes, it's myself and my son. We're the only people uh, who do the social media. So Jesse Glickenhouse, who works for us, and um, has taken the entire burden of regulatory issues and getting the factory up and running and complying with the uh, five and a half feet of uh, regulations that allow you to sell a car. Uh, He does that, but he also does social media. So if you see a post on social media, it's either Jesse or I, period. We have no one else. Um, We do it 100% ourselves. And quite frankly, it's the only reason we sell cars. I mean, I I did a drawing of the old 4C. I said it's going to be an old school sports car, center seater, uh, two passengers like the uh, Ferrari three seater that was made from Mr. Agnelli. And then, of course, uh, the McLaren F1. And I'm going to put a, a 650 horsepower uh, Chevy uh, motor in it with a, a a, gear, a manual gearbox As you do. and we sold 17 cars just off one post and my son said i think we should go into the business of making cars so that's how we started going from a race team to actually a manufacturer and, and it took us three years to really learn what that meant and to meet all the regulations but we do no we do no advertising none zero we let people drive our car christian gephardt just drove both our 004C and our 004S and did a wonderful article in Sport Auto. Um, it's in German, so it's a little hard for me to understand, but it's a 10-page article in a magazine with a lot of pictures. It's cool. But we sell all of our vehicles, our Baja vehicle, our 003 uh, road vehicle. We're going to try to sell a, a road version of our Le Mans hypercar. And it's all on social media. So if it wasn't for social media, we wouldn't exist. It's Jesse and I. We say what we want. And, um, you know, we get screamed at a lot. But that's okay. I like the authenticity of that. Adam, a little different for you. You're employed by a major manufacturer. How do you approach social media? Well, half the time, I'm just trying to entertain myself, to be honest. And uh, I'm, I'm happy for people to <laughs> to, to, to see what I get up to as well. So, um, yeah, I use Instagram a lot. Uh, Twitter, I don't use so much. But, like, from, from last year, obviously, uh, streaming on Twitch became a, a huge thing. Yeah. And so uh, I've been involved more and more on that. So just been pushing that the, uh, oh, the last year, let's say. And, uh, yeah, generally, I... I I'm on it quite a lot, but at the same time, I do think at times it can be a little dangerous. Um, it seems that the more connected we are online, the the less connected we are in in real life, and and I think Very at good. times you do have to be careful um, because 
uh, and I'm a hypocrite for it. Like I know that I'm on the phone too much. Um, and I know sometimes it does get in the way. It's allowed uh, nowadays, particularly in this situation, Adam. It is easy to get lost in there. And, uh, and I think at the same, as brilliant as it is, I think it, it can be depressing as well for, for people. So I always think there's a bit of a fine line because, of course, you end up almost just uh, last year, for example, when the racing started happening again back in Europe. Of course, at the time, no one from the UK was allowed to travel still. Yeah. And of course, I'd be on there like, oh man, the racing or people are testing now in Europe and I'm stuck here and I can't do anything. And, and it is. Uh, yeah, Welcome as, to as my world. It can, be, it can also be evil at the same time. Welcome to my world. This is it. This is the Haggerty Global Broadcast Centre that, that you're looking at at the moment. Uh, guys, thank you very much. I want to finish off with a final question to Mr. Glickenhaus, if, if I may. Jim, this weekend, very, very important to you uh, in terms of getting that LMH car uh, out and about. What can we expect this weekend? Is this an extended test run? Do you guys want to be competitive going through the eight hours of Portimao into, into Monza and then to Le Mans or, or are you there to compete this weekend or is this just a systems check no 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 we, we don't show up unless we go flat out and try to win I mean we never um, do anything but go flat out and try to win if we crash we rebuild and go flat out and until we crash again or, or we finish. And, um, you know, we've run 50 endurance races um, at the, we've run 50 races at the Nürburgring. We just finished our 10th endurance race. We finished, we've never entered an endurance race that we didn't finish. I'm not saying that we weren't battered, bruised and bleeding, but we finished. And, um, you know, this weekend is, is a very interesting thing. Um, you recently had uh some changes in the BOP for both Toyota and Alpine. You know, the experts on the internet will tell you that, oh, it's to make a Glickenhaus competitive. I mean, I'm not quite sure how they would know that because we don't know how competitive we will or won't be. And certainly the ACO doesn't either. I mean, you know, all we've done is gone testing at places like Monza and, and we have some numbers, but and, uh, you know, the other problem is we are the only rear wheel drive Lamar hypercar. Um, and this will probably be true until 2023 when the uh, IMSA LMDH has come online, which will be rear wheel drive as well. So Michelin never had a car to develop a tire on. So okay. we gave them our car. They developed, you know, they developed the tire virtually and they put it on. They said, whoa, it's a bit different than we thought. So uh, I'll be very honest with you. The tire, they're doing an amazing job, an amazing, amazing job. I love Michelin and they're working as hard as they can. Uh, The tire that we have is good for the first stint and then it's not good. It cannot double stint, have to double stint. So that's an issue, but we're going to still go out as fast as we can and see what we can do. My prediction for the weekend is the P2s will be faster at Portimao. Um, there is no question that there is not a se- enough separation between the Lamal hypercars. And I mean everybody. I mean, uh, and well, by everybody, it's just Toyota and us. Alpine is, is not a Lamal hypercar. Yeah. But so I think that this weekend, at best, will be a little behind the uh, P2s. I think at Monza will be faster than the P2s and at Le Mans will be faster than the P2s. Okay. Uh, we, need, we need straights, basically. <laughs> uh, Jim, thank you very much for being with us. Uh, it's, I know that you were travelling today and as everybody's seen, we have literally joined you if you've, if you've checked into the the hotel um i only wish it really was the radio show limited uh yacht outside uh adam um just a, th- a thought from you on mr glickenhaus and his attitude it's old school it's old school privateer and you've been around this game and i know you're a student of the sport how refreshing is that for from you uh, to hear what mr glickenhaus has been talking about brilliant i think uh anyone that is able to put such a project together uh, with the passion that that, that you've got is uh, is what the sport needs, and and you can see that that like you said, uh, you put your foot down to make sure that you got the GT3 homologation to 
to move into the GT3 category for uh, all the Nurburgring stuff and and motorsport needs people like you in here. Uh, Adam, I know you're only a driver. I'll ask this of, of Philip in a moment. Uh, is it is it your is it your belief that the manufacturer you drive for, Mercedes-Benz, needs to be at the sharp end of the field at Le Mans with, with some kind of LMH car, whether it's the, the um, Le Mans hypercar or whether it's a version of the LMDH? I'd love for them to be there. And so, um, for, well, for personally, but also for the brand, I think it'd be brilliant. Um, I think... Uh, they have got the, the, the one, haven't they? They've got the one based on Formula One technology with the 1.6 engine and the hybrid. Well, uh, I, I don't know if that's in the pipeline or the plan yet, but if it is, I'm going to be pushing to try and be there with it. <laughs> uh, and, and Philippe, uh, uh, you know, again... I'll say you're only a driver, but you're plugged into to what's going on. Um, Le Mans is the endurance race uh, in terms of the, the global situation. BMW at the front of the field. It's been a while since they've, you know, they came and dabbled at Le Mans in in, in GTE for a couple of seasons. The the odd schedule didn't help with their their program. Could you see them? committing to something at the sharp end of the field? Well, I think it would be amazing. Um, Le Mans is, is, is their motor race. Um, and I've, I was lucky enough to have been involved in this race uh, three times, um, two times with, with BMW in, in 2018 and 19. Um, and it would be great to come back. Um, also, I, I did three years of, uh, of DTM, um, which is an extreme racing machine and um, yeah I would just be happy to be to be racing those sort of cars again you know I mean a GT3 car around the Nordsch life is incredible it's so quick it has good downforce it has good power but uh, like a class one DTM car around the qualifying lap at Hockenheim is, is something I will never forget and I just, for me personally, hope that I get the chance to, to drive one of those high downforce cars, high power cars again, um, full prototypes. Yeah. And um, yeah, I would, I would be very happy if, if, uh, if BMW uh, will get involved. Let's see. Uh, Adam Christotelo, Philip Eng, Jim Glickenhouse on the grid at Le Mans in the next few years when we know Jim will be. Let's hope the other two are as well. This has been the post Nürburgring 24 Haggerty Inside Track. Thanks for being with us. Matt has been mixing all the vision and getting us out of the world. Thanks to our guest. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Bye-bye. And we'll see you again on the next edition. I'm John Hindorf. Enjoy your evening, afternoon or whatever time it is in the world. This has been fun. Cheerio.